Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in to Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends, one of the most informative and entertaining talk radio shows today. From social issues and trending topics to sex and relationships, no subject is ever taboo. So join us now for real people, real topics, real talk. Let's face it. Thanks for tuning in to Let's Face It. We're your hosts. I'm Will Strayhorn, and we have a good show for you tonight. Please hang with me for a second. We're going through some technical difficulties, but um, it is Sunday, January the 31st. And how's everybody doing? Wonderful. Wonderful. That's good. good. Doing pretty well. Pretty well? Anybody have um, anything exciting this weekend happen? <laughs> mm, I did a photo shoot today. Is that where the pictures came from? I saw. Um. Well, I mean, yeah, but that wasn't it, the photo shoot was of something else. But I can't, I can't really post it yet because it's going to a publisher. So they told us that we can't publish the actual photo shoot itself. So. No. Oh, you can't. Okay. 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 Yeah. They look good. They had a, at a hotel. I think it was. Yeah, it was actually it's a it's going to a um a bride magazine. So I did a, I did a bride and you know so yeah. Anybody else doing good? I celebrated my son's birthday this weekend, so um, we got to spend a lot of money and and he had a good time. So. <laughs> <laughs> exciting for him, not so so exciting for my checkbook, but. Oh, yeah. how, old, how old is he? <laughs> he turned how old six. Is he, Daniel? Oh, six. He turned oh. six, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You only turned six. He was six telling people one. he was 19. He was telling people he was 19. Okay. I was like, cut that out. You you is not 19. You are six. Oh, <laughs> oh my. No, but Alicia, you didn't do anything fun this weekend? Of this course week? I did. Of course did I did. Um. Oh, man, it was so much to happen this week. I'll just say it was very relaxing. It was a lot of restoration, a lot of rest, and reconnecting with some really good people. So That's good. very enjoyable. That's good. I know Nate and I, we had our um, second intern training, or not intern, freelance makeup training class today, and it was pretty good. It was pretty good. We had a um, kind of a heated session, which was a, a real-life moment for one of the makeup artists dealing with, um, I guess, how to deal with difficult clients or difficult, um, I guess, what, what were they doing today, just basic faces, just how to deal with a different difficult client. So that was a real good learning experience, but it was all good. It worked out pretty well. Um, rest of the time, I know went to go see Anderson Cooper this week, which was really I saw that. Um, yeah, eye-opening, very good. He was really good. Um, I love Anderson. 
I, I love that you are periscoping more, Will. I'm loving you. Well, this is my first time, and I, I didn't quite understand how to do it. I should have read up on it, but it was no, kind of hard to keep the class. I'll help you out. I'll help you out, but I'm enjoying well, well, it. So keep actually, going. actually, Will, you periscope a lot. You just don't know that you're being periscoped. <laughs> <laughs> Because I watch you, I watch you a lot actually on Periscope often. I watched your interview that you just did not too long ago with our young lady. Mm-hmm. That was really good. Um, oh, that was three yeah, hours. I did not know that was going to be three hours long. But oh, I see. <laughs> yeah. I had, I, that was I a, that was that was that was the only time we did it though. That was just one day. Well, no, no, the other day, I guess the Nikki Curry, mm-hmm. Nikki Curry mm-hmm. is that her name? Yeah, she Periscope yeah. all the time. Yeah, you, with so, you on yeah. the show. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Okay. Well, it's fun. I have to get. Um, I don't like seeing myself that close up either, so I got to get used to all that. I need to get me a selfie stick when I do it, so I can have it from a distance. Well, I have then you can't read the comments. It. You can't read the comments oh, you're right. far away because people you're are talking right. to you. Because exactly. I was talking to you today, and I was like, I guess nobody's reading my comments, so I'm just gonna watch. You were talking to me. Yeah, I was sitting there. Oh, yeah, it was hard because we were teaching the class, and I was trying to do that. It was just too yeah. much. I think I'll probably I have figured. to get someone to walk around with it. Um, mm-hmm. But we'll, we'll try it again. The next class isn't until February the 21st. But, yeah, okay. we'll just do that. Yeah, but um, we have a, a good show tonight. We have Halima Bellows, who's calling in. She is um, the author, Champion Your Career. And she also invented these career cards, which um, I saw pictures of. I'd never seen them in person. But um, she's a career coach, and she's going to come on to talk about basically how to excel in our careers. And then we have Alvian Lyons and Dr. Terrell Strayhorn, which, of course, is my brother, who's going to come on and talk to us about um, life, love, and career, and a few other things. They promised to give us quite a bit of information tonight, so they're coming up later on in the show. Um, but right now we're going to move into some hot topics. We want to let you know that the phone lines are open. You can call in and speak to our guests at 713-955-0793. Make sure that you press 1 so that they will alert us that you are um, someone who wants to, to speak. Um, also, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Let's Face It Radio, so you can contact us any three of those methods. Um, Danielle, what's our first hot topic? Well, our first one is in reference to Tony Braxton's lifetime biopic. Yes. Did you see it? You know, her, I did, and I had I didn't watch it when it was showing uh, when it aired. I went back and watched it on my computer later, and I okay. was impressed. I was actually um, surprised. I I didn't love the actress who played her. Um, right. But I felt her story was was a good story, and the way that they told her story was epic. I loved how they told her story, and they cleared up a lot of stuff that I had thought about her because I was like, how in the world you go bankrupt twice, Lou? But it became very clear right. <laughs> after watching the movie um, what happened with her. So um, my actual uh, question for you guys is in reference to something that she said. This is what she said. People read the headlines and see the big captions, but no one reads the story. I'm hoping this will give them the backstory. It's therapeutic for me as well. There are some stories that I wanted to talk about, and I wanted people to see my side of it. It's a very honest movie for me. So this is what she was saying in reference to the movie about herself. My question for all of you is, if your life were to be made into a movie, would it be a drama, a comedy, a romance, or something else? 
And what would you want people to learn about you or what message would you like to be translated to them in the movie? Whew, my. <laughs> good deep. one, right? That's a good question. Um, God. I think mine would start off with drama. Drama. My life would start I think I think mine would start off with drama. Um I actually I have absolutely no romance in it at all. So <laughs> no romance at all. <laughs> Just drama and comedy. Yeah. So. Okay. Any particular message? <laughs> oh God, anything you want that you want them to learn about Jay? Gosh. I mean, there's so much, so much. Just basically, just to to love who you are, just love who mm-hmm. you are, um, and, and you can't allow outsiders to, um, I guess, man, manipulate who you are and what God intends you to be. Mm-hmm. And um, and I and I experienced that a lot. You know, just just growing up in a household with much older siblings, much much older siblings, um, and my parents were older; they weren't together, so. You know, I mean, it was just a different a different childhood for me. I didn't have a childhood like most most children did, but it was I was rushed to grow up because my mother was just like, "Why mm-hmm. am I having another child? I already have three children." I mean, she had her first child at fourteen, you know. So my brothers are like really could be my fathers, but mm-hmm. you know, it, it was it was it was rough. You know, I was given a lot of responsibility at a young age, so mm-hmm. and it wasn't all pretty. That can be hard. Um, for the categories that were referenced, it would be. Uh, no, it could be another one. Um, it could be another one. Um, instead of other, I'll I'll just say it would be inspirational. Maybe like a um, somewhat autobiographical, but then it would be inspirational. And as far as the message that would translate, is that beyond what happens to you. Mm-hmm there is a way for you to rise above that. You can go through trauma, you can go through difficult circumstances, but you can leverage that where it makes you a better person Um, Mm -hmm. and that you're able to not let defeats or, again, trauma, chaos, whatever happens to you, you don't have to let that stop you. You can go ahead and pursue dreams. You can live again. Um, As I like to say from my platform message, you can you know you don't have to just survive but you can thrive and there's a big difference between learning how to survive and actually living and enjoying life okay anybody else well no. i would want mine to be a musical I don't want a drama yep i don't want a comedy i want a musical cuz i love music music has gotten me through so many yes, different well. points in my life so I'd want there to be, um, it would be theme. It would be songs based on different experiences in my life. Then there would be a little bit of drama, romance, comedy, like all encompassing in the musical. Yeah. And and, and the theme would be just just live. Just just live. Amen. Come on, live. <laughs> all right. I yeah. think mine would, I would yeah. want Similar to Alicia, I would want like a story, an inspirational story, a story about redemption. Um, Nate taught me a phrase a long time ago: "It's the end that matters." So, just basically, you know, life is—you make mistakes, you get over it, you learn from it, um, and just basically the promise that God made that your ladder is going to be greater. I'm looking forward to that. 
So um, this is an inspirational story. Redemption. Oh, all right now. Well, y'all just okay. put my drama to shame. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> oh my! I feel like I feel like I don't feel like I done messed up, Lord. I don't want nobody to no. get a red, bad impression. No sir, no <laughs> sir. We want to watch yours, okay? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What else do we have, Jay? Well, well, well. So, um, I came across this article on Facebook. Um, it's kind of one of those touchy topics that a lot of people don't really like to talk about, but it was about tithing. In the church. And, um, oh, Lord, yes. Um, So, you know, just to give you a brief synopsis of what the article stated, you know, it said, even though some saints were taught that if they tithe 10% of their income, God will protect them from financial hardship and prosper them financially. The truth is that many Christians who believe in tithing are struggling financially, and some of them are wondering if they should tithe or pay their bills. So the question that I pose to you, do you think you should tithe even though you are struggling financially, or should you pay your bills first? Oh, here we go. Here we go. I'm just gonna let y'all. I'm gonna let y'all. I'm just. I'm just gonna let y'all do y'all thing. It's Sunday. Why are you asking this question on Sunday, Jesus? Hey, why bring it up no other day than the Sabbath? Come on, let's go. Well, this is why I'm getting in trouble. Uh oh. Get Don't have first to first. Go first. <laughs> go oh, first. Lord. Okay, Here, here's what I'm, I'm going to say is tor- sort of a two-part answer. Um, I've been there with, 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 with the financial struggle, but I, I, as a believer, I always tithe. And I'll say what I found out was 10% really was not missed. The Bible does talk about taking care of your home. Um, so fortunately, when I was faithful in tithing, there wasn't an issue where the bills were lacking. It might have been tight, <laughs> but everything was accounted for, and I was still able to tithe. So I really say for the, and this is my opinion, for the average person, 10% is not going to kill you. I will say that tithing is just not financial. I mean, people need to keep that in mind. There are other ways that you can tithe as well. Um, It's not just strictly a financial thing. Um, But, of course, you do have to take care of your home. Um, I would just pray that anyone facing that question would try to see how you can balance both, even if it is, you know, especially looking at America. Sometimes you have to give up some things that you would prefer to have to make that tithe possible. Maybe you can't go out and eat as much as you like or go to the movies. You know, those are the things you sacrifice first if tithing really is a commitment and something that you believe in spiritually. I I like that answer. Hmm. I think um, for me, though, the question is like paying my bills, and I'm going to always pay my bills first, and that's because I've been a mother most of my, my adulthood life. So I have children who depend on me. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe that the God I serve understands. Now, um, I think that there's a space where uh, I did not make the kind of money where I could give 10% to the church uh, because it wasn't going out to eat. It was deciding if we were going to have food next week or if I was going to put that money in the gas tank to get to work to collect another check. Like, it's been that tight for me. Um, but as things have gotten better, I've been able to tie. Um, I don't stick to the 10% thing myself. 
personally. Um, I give what's in my heart to give. Because um, for me, I don't want to be one of those people who are giving because someone told me to. I want to mm-hmm. be a cheerful giver, and I want it to come from a space of I want to give this to the church, and this is something that I want to do. I'm not being told to do it. But if I got to mm-hmm. choose between paying my bills and giving uh, money to a church, I'm going to pay my bills. Mm-hmm. Well, to mm-hmm. me, that is scriptural. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been to different churches before, and, you know, everybody has their different – sometimes people are preaching the word, sometimes preacher, people are preaching their own self-fleshly things for their own benefit. I'm just going to put that out there. But mm-hmm. according to the word, if you don't take care of home, you're worse than an infidel, which is someone that has no faith. So, you mm-hmm. know, it's unscriptural that you wouldn't take care of of your home and your priorities. I'm just going to put that so, there when when people are, so you're saying like you know, for the, the past, between the two. So for the pastors who are always doing like the $100 line, $200 line and all that, that's basically for um, selfish gain? Or are they I think it, what it depends the on saying? the heart of, of that person that's requesting that from you. Um, yeah. I'll say anywhere I've been where you did lines like that, it was for selfish gain. Not just because you had the lines, but every time I've seen it demonstrated, it was selfish. Because if we want to go there, let's just keep in mind, there's a part of church that is a business. And I'm not saying that in a negative way, but it has anything where you have people and you have finance. It's a business. There's a cost. I don't care what tax deductions you get. There is a cost to keep those lights on. There's Uh a cost to pay this mortgage. There has to be money coming in. And if you deal with people that are imperfect, depending on who's in leadership, depending on what's going on, there is a way some people basically pimp your members. So, I'm, I'm, you know, it's a manipulation for some people in leadership. I'm, I'm going to shame you into giving because there are people, unfortunately, who if I give a $100 line, $250 line, $50 line, I don't want my name to go blank and I don't want to be embarrassed. So I'll take light bill money and get in these lines and look good at church and then know I go home and my light's going to be turned off if I can't find the means to make up this money that I didn't have to give you in the first place. But mm-hmm. for the churches that do that, they don't care because, hey, I got my 250 Or if I hadn't done this line or did this circus show that they do, um, I'm not saying all churches, I'm just saying for the people that are doing it at churches for manipulation. I walk away with a whole lot more money while I publicly do lines like this than if I was to sit here and just say, give, you know, as the Lord puts yeah, on your heart. Well, and just give well, a line and we won't announce nothing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You got to Nate, I don't know what happened to him. He's taking a break. Okay. I don't. Um, well. With me, I, I get, I feel, I guess I'm one of those people who I've been under a lot of um, church leaders who have preached on it. And you can tell when funds must be low because that's when they want to do that series on um, tithing and giving and all that. And I just feel, I feel guilty when I don't tithe. I feel, I mean, even I, I get to the point sometimes where I have to question whether I'm going to pay something or whether I'm going to tithe. And if I choose to pay the bill, I find myself, like, repenting constantly because I'm like, 
oh, God, you know, they, they've instilled it. This is ever since I was, because I grew up mm-hmm. coaching. Um, and then currently I, I work for the Baptist Church. But, <laughs> and, you know, you know how they are, Alicia. I grew up like that, so I was scared. Unfortunately, I do. <laughs> um, I had never heard the option that it wasn't um, financial. No pastor has ever told me that it doesn't have to be money. Um, they don't tell you that. Well, <laughs> exactly. Right. And I I'm not saying that you're not yourself. supposed to give your 10% financially, but I'm just saying that there are people forget tithing was more than just money. So, like, when Danielle said that situation of it was literally do I have enough money to pay my bills and feed my children or I give you a 10% check, situations like that are perfect where someone, I, I'm sorry, I'm a spiritual person, mm-hmm. but I say common sense means you got to go feed your babies. Like you said, yeah. the God you serve ain't going to tell you, oh, I'm going to take food out of my baby's mouth just to pay this check. I, I don't know that God either. But those right. are perfect examples where a person may volunteer to do some type of service or just volunteer to do things around the church in tithing. <clears throat> well, there you have it. February the 28th, um, friend to the show, Pastor Darren Phelps, is going to be our guest, and he's um, going to be addressing some of the questions like this that um, people have. And he, I spoke with him on two days ago, I believe it was. Um, I spoke with him on Saturday yesterday, and um, he had a good response to this question. Um, oh, I'm sure he did. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he said he's um, going to be on the show the 28th, and he's going to answer questions from his church and any that we submit. On services where they're going over like why you should give, and like I've mm-hmm. heard these preachers preach about like you got to have you know you want God to do this for you, and you have mm-hmm. faith that you got to put your money. And, and I get it, but I also think that if we're not teaching people financial financial literacy, that we're Come putting on. them in a bad state because they're yeah. not educated on how to use their money properly. So we're telling them, come to the church, believe and give, but we're mm-hmm. not helping them when they leave the church. And a lot of people are giving money that they don't have to give. Right. It could be that they're not educated on how to use their money effectively. Because that's what I was saying. It's one thing. If I got $100,000 and I'm going to church mm-hmm. every day and I'm just deciding that I'm not going to give them none of my $100,000. But it's right. another thing when I'm making $14,000 a year and I got three kids to take care of Hello. and my rent is crazy. So I think Hello. that it's not fair um, to make people feel like I'm not a believer because I can't give that 10% when they don't right. have it to give. So right. educate them, help them, mm. improve their financial situation, and then they can give their 10% wholeheartedly without feeling exactly. any kind of way about giving. Exactly. And you know what? That That's a good point you made about the financial literacy because for some people they could pay the 10%, but then there was a lot of other things like reports or, you know, we're doing a special offering. as always a special offering. Mm-hmm. And my thing was you would find those same people coming back and borrowing money from the church. I remember one church I was a member of, they actually had this IOU program. And I said, excuse me? Well, you know, if you don't have it, you can just tell pastor, you know, you're going to give him an IOU and you can get your name mentioned in the line. And I'm going, why would I do that just to have my name called? 
And that really made me look back and look at people, and it's like, you know, sometimes you might have extra money to volunteer for all of this stuff outside of tithing, but if you take that extra money and you don't have a savings program, you will be one of those people that have to keep coming back and borrowing from the church because you don't have anything saved. And if you do that, let's say, 20 years, you're supposed to have a firm foundation in your home in multiple areas. So to always give money, even if I have it, what about my financial foundation? So now Mm -hmm. the church is rich, but I'm broke for 20 years, 30 years of just constantly giving you money for tithing and everything else you ask for. That's so unbalanced. Mm -hmm. I know I talked to you guys about the church that I went to in Norfolk that I had had trouble with the pastor. About... 20, about 20 years ago, I had got into a situation, didn't want to call my family or whatever, and I called the church, left a message, told them I was in a bind and needed some money. I never heard back from them for a couple of days, so I just broke down right. and asked my family who came through for me. But then the church called me back and told me that they had they had checked my financial records and saw that I was a regular giver and that they wanted me to come in and work on the situation. I told them that I had already, you know, worked it out, but I appreciate them calling back in. But I was... I guess the whole lapse in them calling timing them calling me back they were taking my financial records. Yeah. Lord. But 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 the thing about it is you all you all laugh, but that, that bothers me. That really bothers oh, me. And I, mean, and, and, and I and I and I listen to all of your views and I just to to me it just it burns me up because I often ask the question, where does this money really go? And then someone asked me, well, when they told me, you shouldn't be concerned about where the money goes. Just put your 10% in and, and let God and, and And at the end of the day, I, I, you know, I, I wonder if I ask these pastors who are making $100,000, $200,000 a year, hmm. if I come to you and I say, well, the church is doing um, a budget cut and we can't pay you $100,000 well. anymore, we're going to bring you down to $40,000 like everyone else. Well. Would, you still, would you still feel the Holy Ghost? Will the word still come to you? You know, I, I have to ask these questions because you're come running around in expenses. Because I just, I just, I, I have to think that, you're you're really getting all of this money just to preach the word of God? I mean that that should be that should be for free. I mean why can't you work like me? I don't I don't I just well, I, I just I, I don't I don't well I like I said I don't believe in being in church with I mean the pastor hasn't even brought the word and he already asked for three offerings. You ain't that's even that's you, haven't, you haven't even preached yet and you already asked me for my tithes and my offering and a love offering, a building offering, an education offering. I'm like, wow. come on, somebody. And I mean, and wow. I, went anniversary. To a church. I went to a Don't, church where they, 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 gave, <laughs> they gave me a print. They gave me a printout and they told us, if you make this much money, this is what your 10% should be. You shut and it a- down. And actually, I've seen that before. Your ten- and your 10% should come oh. from before they take your the taxes, not after yeah. they take your yeah. taxes. I heard that too. <laughs> And I think that's a little bit. I think you you digging in my pockets too much. Don't spend my money for me. I, you know, I, if, it, if it falls if it falls on my heart and God says give a little mm-hmm. more, I'm gonna do that. If the right. person next to me in church seems to be struggling and they don't have it, here, baby, here's twenty dollars. Go put it in the bucket. Mm-hmm. That's you. You know, I, I just think you can give your money in different ways. But you know, I mean, I'm a heathen, so you know, you can't hear, listen to me. I, my words are not valid. Well, I want to say mm-hmm. one of the first words you said is is so not scriptural. Because, no, you should be concerned. Whoever told you that, to me, is wrong. You, you right. are supposed to know where your money that you sow is going. I'm not saying you're supposed to count every dollar that pastors spend, 
But no, if I'm, I have to know the ground I'm sowing into is good ground. Right. So I have a right to question what's being done with this money. And when but you I don't want to show financial reports, we got a problem. Exactly, exactly. Well, you know, it's a non for profit, so you know all that. Hmm, whatever. <laughs> and I mean, I mean, the church, the church, the church that I was attending here is actually considered a mega church. And did you know they actually had it in their financial plan for the year to pay the mortgage off ahead of time, and they actually did mm-hmm. that. They paid the mortgage off, so they don't even have to pay the mortgage anymore. That's mm-hmm. how much money was coming into that church. Right. So that lets me know that that, that the money is going to to the good part of, you know, keeping right. the building going. But I've actually heard pastors who have threatened to leave churches because they've asked for increases and they wouldn't give them. Yep. They wanted yeah. an escalade. Oh, yeah. They wanted an escalade mm-hmm. and they didn't get an escalade this year. But, you know, they take care – some churches take care of the pastor's mortgage. They pay yes, all sir. his utilities. Mm-hmm. And they, they mm-hmm. give him a, a salary. So, I mean, where is his money going? He's not spending it on anything except for himself. And, boo-boo, I'm not a member of none of them churches. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> You live and learn. I'm, thank you. I'm just saying, I just love the Lord. That's all that matters. I love the Lord. I'm thankful for it. <laughs> well, we have one more um, hot topic to get to. You guys know how I love Miss Oprah Winfrey. Well, um, she said that she got inspired by people also in her effort to dream big. You know, she always dreams big. And she credited six people that she's actually learned lessons to herself along her road to living her dream. Um, Mr. Ted Turner, Laird. Laird, Laird Hamilton, Joel Osteen, Iyanla Van Zandt, Jennifer Hudson, I was surprised, and also Paula Dean. Um, I just want to let you hear a clip. It is two minutes, but listen to it, and then I have a question for you. Let's take a look at what some of the biggest dreamers have taught me over the years. Take a look. Do you have the courage to dream big? My father told me when I was a small boy that he strongly recommended that I set my goals so high that I couldn't achieve them in my lifetime. So I'm trying to help save the world, and I don't anticipate achieving it completely, but I would like to. I have goals that always, they, they morph. You know, I have morphing goals that when I get near it, I change it, and it gets so that I'm always striving because I, I feel like, the last thing I'd ever want to do is just achieve a goal and be like, okay, I'm good now. And then be like, okay, so now what? I never dreamed I'd be doing what I'm doing now. But see, we thought if we could just maintain what my parents had built, that'd be great. But I don't think that's, you know, that's not God's dream. He wants every generation to build and go further. When you create a vision for your life, doors will open. If you don't have a vision, you're going to be stuck in what you know. And the only thing you know is what you've already seen. But a vision that grows inside of you, a vision that wakes with you, sleeps with you, moves with you, a vision that you can tap into on your worst, worst, worst days, the vision will pull you forward. You know, I had a dream, and I knew I had to sing my way to it. And I was like, you know what? It's going to happen. I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know where, but it's going to happen, and I'm just going to have to sing my way to it. If it's not hard, you're not dreaming big enough. When I started the business 21 years ago, you know, I just wanted my children and I to be able to pay our bills and buy groceries. And so but now what would you say to somebody who has an idea for a dream for themselves? To go for it. You know, 
I, there's no sin in failing, mm-hmm. but the sin is in never trying. Absolutely. Okay. So I have two questions for you. Number one, did any of those, any of those advice? Sorry, did any of those pieces of advice stick out to you? Yes, most definitely the one where he was talking about dreaming a dream so big that you can't accomplish it. Exactly. You're working towards accomplishing it. And like he said, I'm still hopeful that I'll do it, but Mm -hmm. he just made it so enormous. I think that's that's a good good strategy, good strategy. Yeah. In the Periscope that I did that long one this week, I I basically said, and I, I said that actually before I heard this interview, that the dream that I have for myself is just, to me, is just so big that I I don't even know if I'll be able to accomplish, but if I can just get anywhere near it, I think I'll be mm-hmm. satisfied. But um, yeah. it's just funny that I heard him and he said the same thing. And the next question is, you know, if there, if you knew that you would not fail at all, what dream would you go chase after? Uh, if you knew I, that I failing would... would not happen. I would take my endeavors but put it on a larger scale. So, like, I envision supporting young people on a global scale. Okay. So that would be what I'd do. What should we do? Anybody I would else? have to say the same thing because um, in this season it's really not about what I would do if I was not afraid to fail because it's not a failure issue. It would just be that um, – I think I would have probably done it sooner because in the past it has been, um, you know, especially when you're younger, you're afraid to fail or you're, you know, insecure at that age or whatever, you know, I'm not on the same level with this person, this person, whereas at this season it's just like, no, this is a passion that's in your heart, this is a calling, and once you identify what your purpose is, like I think one of the people were saying in the interview, it's what you wake up to. It, it, it nags you until you actually do it. Um, so, no, it's not a failure issue. It's just perhaps on a larger scale. Or for me personally, I really would have started a lot sooner. Okay. I think for myself, I would, um, as a hairstylist, especially doing booth rental, it's really hard to relocate because you have to pretty much, unless you go to a commission salon, you have to start over from one, you know, I've been in the game for 20 years, so I, I've, I've pretty much created my living pretty much on the clients that I have. But I think if I knew failure was not an option, I would definitely move. Um, like mm-hmm. I said before, I would definitely be in California right about now, um, hoping that once I get my degree I can secure a, go- a job over there first and then hopefully um, be able to go over there. But if I knew failure was not an option, I would be so West Coast right about now. Mm-hmm. Well, when you go, I'm visiting. So, yeah, you have it, yeah. You know, of course, yeah. I'm just putting yeah. that out there. But okay. I, I love California. Beautiful place. Yeah. yeah, I went for my birthday. I think Nate and I went for my birthday to go see Rochelle Pharrell, and it was mm-hmm. absolutely gorgeous. I loved it. Yeah. Anybody else have anything that they would, um, any dream that they would go after? Jay, what would you do? Jay? Oh, I thought y'all said Nate. Oops, sorry. <laughs> what would you do? Jay. Let me see. I th- I think oh. I would 
I'm trying to think here. I'm trying to get myself together. I'm getting my thoughts together. I think I like I like the I think I like the idea that you that you said of I, the the whole hairstylist thing. You know, I was always on the edge with it from day one because I was told that men don't do hair. Um, I was so nervous about it, but I think I would have I think I would have uh, achieved I guess achieved the goal a whole lot quicker. Um, I would have just went out there and just just did way more than what I what I was afraid of doing now. I think I just would have done it. I think I would be on a much larger scale. Um, I would travel with it more. I will, you know, I, I would. I really want to travel with hair. I, I hate being stationary, and I think that's my mm-hmm. issue. I hate being still for too long. I like to keep moving. I like to be busy. As Kelly Price would say, I like to be booked. So I, right. I, okay. I, 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 I want to see different people. I want to see the other parts of the world, and I don't mean just in the United States. I mean I want to travel. You know, take this hair business somewhere else because you know. You never know what you you know. People all over the world are doing different things, and and if you don't mm-hmm. know what it is, unless you expose yourself to it, mm-hmm. you know I don't know it all. Um, there are so many other hairstylists who could teach me things, and I, I just right. I'm like a sponge. I'm ready to absorb it all, and I I want to teach others. I want to I want to I want to learn some new things, and I think if failure was not even an option for me, I you wouldn't even find me. I would be on the go. All right. Catch me if you can. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to have Miss Halima Bellows on the line with us. You're listening to Let's Face It. We'll be right back. This is Dan Bossy. Take one. Pushy. Stubborn. Stubborn. Pushy. Pushy. Stubborn. Stubborn. Bossy. 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 When I was growing up, I was called bossy. I think the word bossy is just a squasher. Being labeled something matters. By middle school, girls are less interested in leadership than boys. And that's because they worry about being called bossy. We need to tell them it's okay to be ambitious. We need to help them lean in. Words matter. Let's just ban the word busting. And encourage girls to lead. To be strong and be ambitious. Listen to your own voice. There are no limits. There to be you. You can change the world. Let's ban bossy. Be brave. Be you. Ban bossy. Join us to ban bossy. I'm not bossy. I'm the boss. Encourage girls to lead. Take the pledge at fanbossy.com. Inside every overweight woman is a woman she knows she can be. Many times you look in the mirror and you don't even recognize your own self because you've got lost, buried in the weight that you carry. Nothing you've ever been through is wasted. So every time I tried and failed, and every time I tried again, and every time I tried again, has brought me to this most powerful moment to say, if not now, when? I feel that way, and I know millions of other people feel that way. Are you ready? Let's do this together. No more it's none of my business. 
No more, I'm sure they'll work it out. No more, boys will be boys. No more, I'll say something next time. No more, why didn't she tell anyone? No more, she was flirting with him. No more, she's too smart to let that happen. No more, not my problem. No more, he didn't mean it. No more, why doesn't she just leave? No more, he said he was sorry. No more, she was drunk. No more, she was asking for it. No more, she seems just fine to me. No more, she should have been more careful. No more, we don't talk about that. No more bystanding. No more ignorance. No more excuses. No more. No more. No more. Welcome back to Let's Face It. For more than 20 years, Halima Bellows has been helping her clients champion their careers and find their ideal jobs. She has a special gift for gently but relentlessly sifting through the mist and fog of clients' experiences and impressions, bringing the clarity of their insights to light. Halima is the creator of the Career Quest Cards, a practical, portable career-building tool providing a distillation of 30 key career coaching exercises. And she's the author of the Self-Coaching Guide, Champion Your Career, Winning in the World of Work. Please help me welcome to the show, Halima Bellows. Hi, Will. And how are you doing this um, evening? I'm fine, thank you very much. How are you? I am great. I wanted to ask you about these career quest cards. Uh, What are they and what inspired you to create them? Um, They're a set of uh, 24 cards uh, packaged in like a a, a little sort of card box uh, with uh, exercises, over 30 exercises and advice for um, people trying to find a career. And and the reason I sort of put the cards together is I thought, well, you know, a lot of people don't have time to read a book. The internet can be really overwhelming. I mean, when you can get lost in it. Um, yeah. um And so yeah, I know. And uh, people sometimes don't actually want to see anybody, a professional, to help them. So I thought if I did these cards, it would be they're portable, they're practical. You can carry them with you. You can have fun with them. Um, that's why I created them. Awesome. Miss Bellows, this is Nathaniel. I want to ask you. Why are the Career Quest cards an appropriate tool for career seekers in our present economy and marketplace? Um, well, they're they're designed um, to uh, to give people insights. Um, I mean, it's the late the latest. I mean, I took the latest sort of career uh, counseling coaching tools and really put them in a very portable way that people could, you know, they could carry them with them in their purse, for example. Um, you know, and they can they could spend an, an hour, they could spend ten minutes. Uh, it, it's it's designed to sort of work with people's very busy lifestyles where they don't really have time to sit down, read a book. They could pick one card. It kind of says, pick a card, any card. Uh, that's your theme for the day. That's your theme for the mm-hmm. week, week. And then you can think about, um, you know. And I, I I advise people to keep a notebook w- with them so that they can sort of jot down thoughts on, you know, finding. T- 
the the career that's right for them. And there are exercises that talk about skills and values and interests and uh, the the career uh, process. And I've got cards. That's, I have one that says eleven different ways to do what you love. There's things about uh, finding a job. You know, so there's a lot of stuff in a very small little package. Hi, Helena. This is Danielle, and and you were just Hi. touching on the career uh, quest cards and and how you can use them. Can you elaborate a little bit on how someone can use it for a self help tool? Well, they are self help tools. I mean, the car. I mean, that's what they're really designed for. As I say, mm-hmm. they're 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 over uh, thirty exercises in the form of a card. They're actually very beautiful. I mean, I should I'll send you a box. Um, okay. So you can see what they look like. They, they had a great graphic designer, um, and uh, as I say, they're portable, they're practical, they're, they're all self-help. They're all exercises. I mean, there's there's one card that says um, eleven different ways to do what you love, and it actually gives gives suggestions of things that people can do. Um, there there's a card on you know it says uh, six steps to fulfilling work, and again, if people follow them. Uh, they can, you know, probably work their way into it. There's things of, of, you know, tapping into what you enjoy. There's things on, on looking at your values. So that they're all basically career development um, ideas for people to use. Uh, there's things on core values. There's likes and dislikes. There's skills. But they're all in card form. Awesome. Is, are your cards tailored to a specific population of individuals, or is this something that's all-inclusive? Anyone can I, use this from any I, age. I, 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 I would say that they're probably all-inclusive, though. I really design them, as I say, for people who, you know, don't like to read books. Internet is too much. It's for really someone that's tactile. It's something you can hold in your hand. Uh, you can fan the cards out. You can play with them. They're also really good to use uh, for career development specials in giving a workshop or in class. Uh, and, you know, particularly I would say young people like them because they can actually hold on to something. Oh, okay. Awesome. Hi, Helene. This is Nate. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm fine, thanks. Great. Um, so we, you spoke about them being self-help tools, and you said that, you know, career develop, development professionals um, can utilize these cards, but how can a career professional utilize these cards to work for their clients? Okay, well, first you could use them um, in in a classroom or a workshop if you're giving a, a, a class or a lecture. Um, I've often done, um, you know, Workshops using the cards, and I kind of have I, I kind of fan out the cards to people. I say, pick one, have a look at it, uh, think about what it says, jot down some notes, talk to somebody else. So you, you you can do it in a class, but you know, for for individuals that let's say are meeting with uh, clients, you know, one to one, you know, sometimes it's like, well, here's a different tool. You know, you don't want to go online, you don't want to take an assessment, you don't want to have a piece of paper to write an exercise. Look at these cards. See see if they generate any ideas for you. It's kind of an, a, exactly. an additional tool for someone, you know, someone that maybe someone that's stuck and nothing else is working. Say, let's try these. Let's see if we can get somewhere with this. Exactly. Okay. It okay. sounds like an awesome tool for college students because I, I come across a lot of college students who don't enjoy doing those assessments on the computer or prefer exactly. not to be doing a lot of research. So this 
helps them to grab their thoughts and, and still work on that area of figuring out a career for themselves without having to do all those assessments and research, like you were saying, on the computer. So I think it's an awesome tool. Um, My question is, can you tell our listeners a little bit about some successes other individuals have had using using your cards? Well, you know, people use them, uh, as I say, it's the it generates ideas for them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is a, a tool that I can pursue. I mean, I've, uh, I've used them also. There's some cards in there that talk about the job search. And, I, you know, I know that, you know, people that have actually followed what I've advised them to do have actually found jobs. <laughs> Um, that's have, a success. You know, kind of, yeah. yeah, yeah, really, it is. Uh, you know, or 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 said, wow, that's you know, that's a really good idea. I think I'll follow through with that. You know, and they do a little more research and say, you know, that's a really good career for me. I think I'll you know uh, go into that or whatever. So th- they are very successful. I did want to add that um, what what I what I also created as a result of the cards was I created an app as well. And it's called Career Quest Cards app for for like the millennials who are always on their phones. Um, and you know you can download the cards on your phone, and and there's like notepads, and you can you, you know you can carry it with you, take notes. It's even easier than the cards. So I did that as well. Hmm. Okay. That was actually my next question. Hi, Halima. This is Will. How are you? I'm fine. How are you doing yourself? Doing pretty good. That was actually the question I because I saw that you just made it into an app. Um, so you said you made that because of the, the millennials? Yes, primarily. I, I, You know, I wanted to reach the younger generation. Right. Um, and I thought, you know, what, what? what's the best way to get, you know, to get, you know, to reach them? And basically they're on their cell phones. I mean, everything, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's all on the phone. So, right. you know, the, the the cards are available. I mean, I you know, I, I, I had them done for, you know, Android, Kindle, and and iBooks so so that they can you know it's it's for all the major platforms and they can open it up anytime look at it do an exercise think about it you know move on take notes whatever so I did it I I put it in an app and that's people have said that they've really enjoyed using it and it's been a lot of fun. Oh, awesome! And your book, Champion Your Career: Winning in the World of Work, which you said is a a self coaching guide. Um, so that's what are some right. things they can they could look to learn inside your book <laughs> oh wow that's a that's a very broad question right there um well it it covers um you know i think there 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 are twelve there are twelve chapters i believe plus mm. plus an appendix um and uh, you know and 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 one talks about i mean i can just read you my chapter title so you can get an idea it's like you know focus on your future change careers with courage i like alliteration uh power up your passion so looking at what are their passionate about verb up your values looking at your values summoning your strengths and skills what are your strengths what are your skills talks about uh, dynamic decision making how do you make decisions what's you know what's the best way to do it what works for you uh also, a chapter on like nourishing your network. Um, you know, look at choices. I also have a chapter in there for retirees, which I call "Retire with Fire." Uh, that the, toward the end of the book talks out. You know, talks about the job market and what it is, and it and it's also talks. It's a chapter on, uh, you know, today's tools, which is you know the job search today is very very different than it was you know ten fifteen years ago, and it's all. It's on the net. It's online. There's a chapter on using LinkedIn and social networking and Twitter and Facebook. Oh, wow. And, you know, 
All of that. That's, yeah. That's good. And where can they pick up your book? Uh, well, at the moment, uh, they they can pre-order it. Well, the ebook is out um, already. The, you can get the ebook on um, Amazon, on through Barnes and Noble, um, through a whole bunch of other places. Um, you know, it's 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 it, you know also Apple as well. Um, and the book itself is in it's in print in the process of being printed and will probably be out the end of uh, the month. And they can get it through my website. Uh, which is www.championyourcareer.com, and they can pre-order it. Awesome. awesome. The actual book. Excellent. Okay, well, Halima, we want to thank you for coming on. So your website, do you have any other methods of contact that our listeners can possibly follow you or reach out to you for more information? Social media, I think perhaps? the best would be uh, the, the the best definitely would be the website. Uh, okay. It's 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 pretty exten- extensive. Again, it's championyourcareer.com, dot com, and uh, they can see, you know, all the things on there the, about the book, about me, about my services, about the app. It's all, it's all on there. That's probably the best way uh, they can call me on my cell phone if they like. Um, they, they can email me, uh, you know, which is hbellows at championyourcareer.com dot com if they'd like to get in touch with me as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with us your your inventions. Um, can't wait to check out the cards. Um, do you have any final words before we let you go? Uh, well, I you know I I truly believe that uh, if you know people can find I you know they 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 find their passion and they can live it. And I think um, you know I think there was a uh, one of my favorite quotes is this, which is find work which you are passionate about. Put passion into your work, and you will never work a day in your life. That's my advice to people. Wow, wow. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, and we hope you have a wonderful evening. Uh, you too. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> okay, some good information there. Good. Uh, we're going to actually move directly into our next interview. Our, our next guests are on the phone. Um, we have Alvian Lyons and Dr. Terrell Strayhorn. Alvian Lyons is a nationally respected speaker, marriage and family consultant, parent educator, and relationship expert. Through her enormously popular appearances as the favorite relationship expert on Virginia Public Radio's call-in show, Another View, and WHOV's The Pastor's Study, Alvian has helped thousands of individuals and families. And then we have Dr. Terrell Strayhorn. He's an American scholar and award-winning faculty member at The Ohio State University. He is a professor, a public intellectual, writer, musician, and minister. Amongst his impressive accolades, he he was named one of the most highly visible scholars in his field by the Journal of Blacks in Higher Education. He also happens to be my little brother. So please help me welcome to the show Miss um, Alvian Lyons and Dr. Terrell Strayhorn. Welcome to the show. Hello. Welcome to the show, everyone. Hi, how are you? Hey, and can you guys hear us? Yes, we can hear you. Wonderful. Okay. Well, hi, how's everybody doing? Doing great, doing hey. great. Wonderful, wonderful. Glad to have Thank you guys here today. Oh, it's Danielle speaking, speaking, by the way. <laughs> I, I'm going to pose the first question for both of you. And the first question is, from each of your perspectives, what is success? 
and how does one know when they have truly achieved it? Ooh. Okay, men first. <laughs> Good one. Nice. Hey, I'm going to get you back. <laughs> I know you will. Um, sure. Well, so hopefully the way this can work, we can start the conversation and go back and forth. Um, and what is success for me? Uh, you know, I think success is the achievement of goals that individuals have set for themselves. Um, it's uh, fulfillment of one's desires and purpose. So I think it's reflective in that way. You have to have goals. You have to have objectives. Um, but ultimately, I think success is having no regret. There are lots of things you can do in life and lots of opportunities that present themselves. I think for myself, um, I try. I, there was a point in time where I measured success up against what a lot of people thought I should be doing or what other people were doing and um, looking for that kind of uh, measure that once I attained it or got what someone else has got, someone, what someone else uh, got, I would feel fulfilled. And sometimes I did that, and I just wasn't fulfilled, uh, partly because that goal wasn't self-authored. It wasn't something I actually desired at all, and so when I got it, it was pretty meaningless. Mm-hmm. And, you know, life sort of pushed me into this space where I realized there are a lot of things that people do that I don't want to do. And it's not because I can't do it, but it's not part of my purpose and my why. But there are some things that I'm very clear I want to do and I want to achieve and I want to experience. And when I set those goals and achieve them, um, I feel successful. I feel fulfilled. And I I don't have regrets. So the beautiful thing is if you can define success based on your own measures of it, whether you get the award or not, whether they clap or not, whether they, um, you know, your name is in lights or not, you'll still have no regrets if you did it. Mm-hmm. I like it. See, that's why men should go first. See? All right, Albion, what do you add? What do you say? <laughs> okay, well, you know I, I, I'm absolutely not capable of being quiet anyway. So I would say that when you can meet, and probably in a, more, in a, a slightly boiled-down version for me, would be when you can meet all of your needs, most of your wants, while doing what it is that you love. You know, like, it's it's not, for me, very complicated in the sense that, like, I years ago, I you know, my, my, my brother happens to be um, a movie producer. So he's in the business in L.A. and, you know, does not B-movies, real movies. And um, not to say B-movies aren't real movies, but you people know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, so real, serious dollar movies. And... Years ago, people would say to me, why don't you let your brother, you know, build your career? And the issue for me was two things. And I love what Terrell just said because it's what works for you that really speaks to what successful is. Because it is true, I could make ten times the amount of money that I make in my current market. But what it would cost me would not make me feel successful anymore. So while more people would know me and while I would be making more money, it would cost me my kids and it would cost me my marriage. And neither of those two things were up for negotiation. 
So when we start talking about what success is, what he hit so perfectly on the head is what does it mean for you personally? What are you willing to do and not do in order to have what it is that you want? And if I, if for as long as I can meet my needs and I can do most of the things that I want to do and I'm able to do both of those things while I'm doing what I love to do, to me that's successful. That's success. Wow. I like both of those answers. They both work <laughs> for me. <laughs> and it made me think of another question because um, you were talking about what success is for you. When is an appropriate time to teach this to young people? And, and who should be the individuals teaching young people to understand success so that they don't do, like uh, Dr. Strayhorn mentioned, um, where you're picking um, what other people are saying is success for you and using that as your measure for success? Okay, so who's starting first on this one? <laughs> I'm going to save my Alvian year first for another question. <laughs> for later? Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. So you first again. Oh, no, go ahead. I mean, I think there are lots of ways to say this. So if you, if building off of our answers to the first question, it seems to me the moment that a young person is able to decide or dis- discern what they love to do. So if we think that success is being able to fulfill your needs and your wants, doing what you love to do, once one has the capacity to identify that they, something that they love to do, their vocation, their calling, their um, purpose, then I think it's an appropriate time to have a conversation with them about this lesson. But You know, the other way of answering it pretty generally is it's never too early to start because in this society, you know, when you meet someone, the first thing you say to them, you say, hey, what's your name? And they say, my name is Nick. Second question in this country we ask everyone is, what do you do? What do you do? Uh Mm -hmm. As if that defines who you are. mm -hmm. On what they do. We we decide if people are worth our time based on what they do. So we've got to get that question up front. And... um, so from a very early age, people are trying to shape what you should do, what you should care about, ultimately what success should look like for you. And I think um, early messages about this self-authored or self-defined definition of success is really important. And then who should do it is anyone who interacts with young people. I mean, parents should do it and aunties and uncles and pastors and mentors, teachers, talk show host and Alvian. It's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I I totally support that that answer. I mean, it is absolutely true that. And you know, Dr. Strayhorn and I are both whom I lovingly refer to as Terrell because we do many beautiful things together. What are you going to say? I can hear you right now. What are you about to say? Call me Terrell. Okay. All right. I, okay. I was like, are you going to say something smart? Because you know, nope. we'll have this moment right here. Okay, so <laughs> so Terrell and I have clearly, you can tell, we we've done some some really great work together. And I, but I'm I am not biased when I say that I totally support his answer. As we're both parents, and you know, have watched our children and experienced our children go through, you know, identifying who they are in this world, and still going through that process as they become, you know, teenagers and young adults. And it it's so true that. A, it is, they will go. They may have various 
evolutions of what they believe they love and want to do with their lives. Our job mm-hmm. as parents, as pastors, as mentors, as leaders in various capacity is to nurture whatever that is for that that child at that particular period of time, that there are going to be so many people in the course of their lives that are going to make withdrawals. And when I say withdrawals, I'm saying have something negative to say about why you can't, why you shouldn't, why there are going to be people who are going to make withdrawals during the course of their lives. We have to choose to be people who make deposits. So when you say that I want to be a singer, then our response is, okay, well, here are things you may need to know if you want to go into that industry. Do you have a fallback plan? That's not to suggest that you are not capable of it. But in the event that things don't go the way that you thought they would go, here are some things that you can do that still allow you to be a part of something that you love so much, and that being music. You know that we have to find ways to be able to provide scaffolding that support the structure of the dreams that these young people have. And they can, that can start at any age. Kids are so gifted in so many ways, and it, it's displayed at so many different times that you may be having this conversation with a four-year-old. You could be having the conversation when they're 14. You could be having it when they're 24. A little late, but you could be having it when they're 24. You know, like, but the reality is that at any given point in that developmental process, you need to be talking about what that means and for people to understand in your in young people in particular who you do what you are instead of letting what you do define who you are so and it's it when you're able to do that you know when when you're born to talk, when you're born to sing, when you when that thing you would do it all night, 3 a.m., whether you got paid or not, maybe then that's who you are. Now it's just a matter of being able to make that partnership between who you are and how you can take care of yourself and provide. And and it's not always a seamless process, but there are lots of ways to be able to help make that happen. And you feel successful because you're actually spending your life doing what it is that you were made to do. Oh. Wow. All right, now. Uh, this, this, so this is Will. I have basically had the front row seat of Terrell's, Dr. Strayhorn, <laughs> excuse me. I feel funny saying that. Dr. Strayhorn's <laughs> career. And I've seen, you know, when he was, we were growing up and um, he, he was saying what he wanted to do mm-hmm. when he went to school, when he graduated, when he went back to school, when he went back to school. Um, I think he's back in school now. Um, I want to know, to, for, for both of you, wh- what keeps you so driven? Mm-hmm. So driven. And I asked that question. Let me tell you why I asked that question. I've been in my field for, for 20 years, um, currently back in school now because I don't know if perhaps it's due to the circumstances that are going on in my industry with the economy or whatever, but the love for what I do is leaving. So I'm venturing into a new career, middle age pretty much. Um, mm-hmm. I want to know for you, what, what, is that, what is that sustaining force that keeps you so driven um, to go? Because like I said, I've had a front row seat of Terrell, mm-hmm. and I've seen how he has, just thrive mm-hmm. throughout his whole career, um, breaking mm-hmm. records and everything like mm-hmm. that. So for both of you, I ask you, what, what, what is that force that keeps you so driven to accomplish, to, to con- continually achieve? Okay, so I'll start on this one. Uh, okay. Since since you already know your brother's, or at least a lot of your brother's story, um, mm-hmm. for me, I would not know what to do with myself mm-hmm. if I wasn't doing what I'm doing. Like, mm-hmm. I... There are lots of things that I'm good at. Don't get me wrong. Some of us, you know, are gifted. We're 
you know, God is very generous and we're able to do multiple things. Um, but not all of those things are our respective passions. You know, just because you're good at accounting doesn't even mean you like math. You know, like, right. so it doesn't, that does not mean that that's what you're supposed to spend your life doing. But when you light up, like, you know, Christmas morning, when you watch a ballet, you know, maybe there's 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 some some kind of, you know, synergy between you and the arts, you know, that is different than you and accounting. So I'm always interested in making sure that there is um, fluidity between the things that I love, you know, and how I spend my time and my energy. So to be very honest, I would not, I would not be happy doing something different than what it is that I'm doing. And because most people, the way that they're actually designed is to pursue the things that make them happy, be they relationships, be they the acquisition of stuff, whatever it is, it's in pursuit of happiness. When when that thing is aligned with what you're doing in terms of your career, for me, they're not different. Like, the same way that anybody would pursue love is the way that I pursue wanting to be the best at what it is that I do because it brings me joy. Like I genuinely love what I do. I love being able to be a part of people's lives and the gift and the the um, honor that you are given when someone says, you know, tell me more or help me through this or what do you think about that? I mean, that is a privilege someone right. is offering you. And when you invite me to your, into your home, and I'm saying that, you know, symbolically speaking, inside of your world, then it is my job to be a good guest in that space. Bring something to the table. And I want to bring the best meal to the table that I possibly can because of the gift that you have given me to allow, this, my, allow me to step into your space like that. So it drives me in ways that wake me up at 2 o'clock in the morning. You know, may, I, don't, I don't care whether I get paid sometimes or not. I just need to do this thing, which is how I know this is what I was born to do because nothing could stop me. Awesome. Thank you. I mean, so I would echo everything that Albion just said, of course, and um, and maybe raise up for consideration of the, just to restate a couple of points. I think what sustains me is well. Let me just say this. Um, so this is your talk show, but you you read my bio. So. First of all, what sustains me is God because um, there are certainly times where I don't know that I always saw how things would pan out, especially not as life unfolded and circumstances unfolded and I faced a number of challenges. There were several times in my life where I thought my goals and dreams were compromised, but something um, told me to hold on and keep going, and even when I couldn't understand, um, I had enough strength to keep working, still go to class to um, apply to graduate school anyway. And so I think that's undeniable. Secondly, um, much like Albion said, it's a passion. I mean, I don't feel like what I'm doing is um, that um, what I'm doing is uh, for naught. You know, this is what I was born and purposed to do. And 
There's like a sound I'm getting on the phone. It's a feedback, it sounds like. Yeah, I'm here. I'm oh. just starting to hear it too. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, you know, so I um it's a purpose, it's what I was born to do. I'm very convinced of that. Um and so it doesn't feel like work sometimes. Oh. Certainly there are times where it takes an enormous amount of effort and then um, but so working mm-hmm. on my purpose, being in my lane, and doing things that I feel mm-hmm. um, have a a higher uh, purpose or meaning to them will sustain you because I feel like I'm working on something that's far beyond myself, and and of course I'm not the only person working on it. So like in my work, you know, uh, something I spend a lot of time working on right now is what's happening to black men in higher education. There are lots of people who direct a lot of energy and research and time and talent to that um, issue. But I think that what I add is different and unique, and my work is different, and my answers to the question are different. And you won't get there in terms of an answer to the problem if I um, stop in the process. So I think, you know, my advice to people, always, you know, work for something beyond yourself. Work for something for the good of someone else. And that's my final point. That is that I feel like I'm making a difference. There are times where... Um, I'm exhausted physically and mentally, but I get up on the stage and I give a talk to an audience, and at the end, some woman comes up to me and says, you know what, I'm going to go home and love my son a little more, and I, I believe I can you know, raise a son who can go on to graduate school, and you gave me a couple of insights to it. That sustains you. That will give you energy even when your body gives out to go and do it again. That is the absolute truth. Yeah, I know. Troll and I were talking earlier, and you had said something that I was like, what? You said last year, I think you said you did, because you basically, you travel across the country, well, around the world, basically, and speak. And I think last year you said you did like 170-something travels. Isn't that what you said, 100-something? So I think last year I gave like 176 lectures around the country, and that's incredible. I mean, to see the numbers is startling because it doesn't, Feel, I don't stop and add them up, but to look back and say, wow, I I met 170 different audiences in the country and gave talks to them on top of teaching, you know, a course every semester at Ohio State and running a center, um, it opens up that question that you ask, and that is, why in the world would you do that? And what sustains you to do it? And I think... Alvin and I have said, I mean, it's a, it's about purpose, it's about passion, it's about um, knowing that you're making a difference. But, you know, the other part, and Alvin, back me up here and, and add something, is about taking care of yourself. So, you know, you can't do it um, if you don't take care of yourself. You'll run yourself ragged, and uh, your purpose needs you to take care of yourself. I like to tell people... Um, you know, we're, we're fighting a war and, and we're winning lots of battles, but if you ever get to a battle and you're exhausted, you're too exhausted to fight, you know that you don't have it to fight, you need to rest. Take care of yourself because we need you for the war, not for one battle. And so despite all that travel and all that writing and, 
I had a book come out in January and so forth. I also learned how to pull away and watch television and um, go on vacations or yeah. block out time in my schedule where I'm not writing because I know I got to last. Mm-hmm. You got to, I mean, he's so right. You have to unplug sometimes. And what's really important, I mean, the higher you climb, quite frankly, the more important it becomes because there's a greater temptation to ignore those warning signs. You know, it's the greater temptation to ignore the, um, the wisdom of balance because you always feel like, okay, well, if I could just handle this one more lecture, I could just do this one more show, I could just, and you, you get used to this saying yes to things because it feels on some level that you're moving the ball forward relative to what it is that you're created to do. But what makes you great at what you do is giving the best you to the process. You know, that it's not about, and Ariana Huffington, when she wrote Thrive, she talked about the fact that we orient as if we are paid for our endurance rather than being paid for our judgment. And as a result, you know, she she literally almost, you know, killed herself, passing out, knocked her head on the edge of her desk, laying in blood. I mean, the whole nine yards, pure from exhaustion, trying to launch the Huffington Post. Well, I reference that only to say that what is it going to matter how much you achieve if it costs you yourself? So the reality is that you have to be able to create some measure of balance in the process and recognize that despite all of the opportunity, some of those Everyone who says yes to you is not your friend. Every door that opens is not your door. You know, that you have to be discerning enough to be able to step back and recognize that I cannot pour anything out of an empty vessel. And when Terrell is speaking to the fact of, you know, having to say no to some things or to, to pull back on some things, it's because if if there is nothing poured into him and he's responsible for that, as I am responsible for making sure that I stay full, I don't have anything to give to my audience anymore, and neither would he. So it really is, it does require a level of personal honesty if you're not, if you don't want to see that thing splash across the news, you know, great speaker, international so-and-so found dead in their hotel mm-hmm. room, you know, from such right. and you know, that kind of stuff happens way too often, you know, and that, and you just can't allow yourself to be part of that, but it does require a lot of internal discipline to do so. Well. And you just spoke to the question that I was going to ask you about how do you find that kind of balance? So, do you have any other advice to give our listeners on how they can maintain that kind of balance when they are trying to be highly effective, successful people like the two of you? Mm. Okay, can Especially I go first like on this, Terrell? relationships and things like that. <laughs> That's exactly where I was going to go with that. Can I go first, Terrell? Will you let me go first? Oh, you take it, take it. Come on. Do okay. good. So I've been married for 20 years this year. And okay. the... And, you know, got married in college. So, I mean, like, he has been here. My husband, Matt, has been through the entire climb. Um, Although audiences would know Terrell as daddy because we we do, when we do our stuff together, they refer to us as mommy and daddy because we just get along that well. And even my husband knows that that's daddy on stage. So we're all good in case anybody knows. So needless to say, um, he's been there for the entire climb. And there are certain things that have to be true. A, I would say as a woman, which may be a slightly different vantage point than, of course, Terrell's experience, is that there is a lie that we do tell. 
and it's not a total lie, it's a partial lie, and that's that we can have it all. The answer uh-huh. is we can have it all. We just can't have it all at the same time. Uh-huh. And we get ourselves in trouble trying to do it all at exactly the same time. There is a period of time, if you're going to have children, that you have to be crystal clear about what your priority is. If you want to build a marriage, you're going to have to be crystal clear about what your priorities are. You heard me reference before that I could make a lot more money than the money that I make. And I make good money, don't get me wrong, but I could make a lot more money if those two things were not my priority. But the reality is that I only have four more, three more years left before I have an empty nest, three more years. I'll be 43 years old. So what is it that is so pressing that I couldn't give three more good years to making sure that every one of my children had me full-time, and when I say full-time, as much as I can be available as a mom? What, what difference will those three years really make in that when it's all said and done, will I be thinking to myself when I'm getting ready to die, when I'm getting ready to see my maker, I wished I had been busier three years earlier. You're never going to have that thought. You'll always be thinking of making sure you didn't miss that game, making sure that you were there for that parent-teacher conference, making sure that your kid was, you know, was you were there with your kid that night when they had a tough night, that first breakup, that first, you know, heartbreak, that whatever it may be. And that when your man, for me, when your man comes home, he doesn't come home to somebody that is so tired that he can't look forward to seeing her because she has spent all of her best things on the world and has nothing left for him. That will not be my story. So there are certain things that we have to be honest about as women, and it's, not, and it's fine if that's not your priority. That is okay. But do not get married. Do not have children if that is not going to be your priority. You've got to be clear about your priorities going into this process because you will be tempted to do everything but what it is that you value. Your core values must be central, like a tree trunk, to how you go through this process. Every limb is going to come off of those core values. And every and every leaf is a byproduct of those limbs. So you've got to make sure that those cores are that core is super strong, so that it is when it's all said and done. The, the living with no regrets that Terrell referenced before, and that being real success, that is absolutely true. But that's only possible if you did what you knew you needed to do, what you knew you valued along the way. That's how you end up with no regrets. Hmm. Yeah. Good answer. Uh, all that I, w- I could just say ditto, and then we'd be. <laughs> um, you know, but I would say this because balance is something that balance is hard, and balance is something that uh, you know, in the spirit of transparency, early on in my career, um, people used balance to control me. They use balance as a critique of me. And it's an interesting critique, and so we're not going to go into all the issues I think might be embedded. Uh, What does it mean for a young black male to be more focused on his career than focused on the streets or to be willing to go to graduate school and write books over Mm -hmm. um, coming Mm -hmm. up with a mixtape and how people try to then, you know, uh, understand me, apprehend me, and since they can't, but they're determined to make a critique, um, they say, well, then, you know, he's too focused on his work. He's out of balance. And so for years I uh, felt bad about that, and I felt like, you know, there's something to this, and maybe I am going to self-destruct in a few years. 
until I understood the, sci the science of balance, I thought balance was this thing that was out there for me to discover. I also thought balance was this um, state of being equivalent or state of being equal so mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. the same amount of time I put into my work, I would put into my play. Uh, but then I started paying close attention to things like the world. The world is in balance, but there are different forces acting upon different parts of the world to keep it in balance. And in fact, if the force in one corner of the world wasn't stronger than the force in another corner, we would be out of balance. Right. That whole science of balance is about um, uh, equivalent forces and different forces. When you think about um, balancing a checkbook, it's not really about spending just as much as you earn. It's about managing your resources so that you're not overspent, so that Absolutely. whatever you put out, you can either make back up or you can cover some other way. And when I started figuring that out, first of all, I silenced the voices of all my haters who started <laughs> saying things like he'll wear himself out and be overspent. No, I won't. But more importantly, um, it was people who didn't know that actually I, I knew more about the science of balance than they gave me credit for. I knew that um, as, you know, on social media, I often say time spent doing something you enjoy can never be time wasted. Absolutely. And so people would say things like, you know, he travels and he uh, writes and he teaches and he trains his students and he graduated four PhDs last year, so he's going to burn himself out. But what they don't know is that in the middle of all of that, I also gave up hours playing the piano because that's what sustains me. It's what restores me. It gives me balance. Um, that I've made a committed effort that I'm going to be in church on Sunday. That's a decision I made about how I'm going to balance my life. That in all of those trips around the country, there were some trips that I took with my kids that had nothing to do with the keynote. It was time with Aaliyah and Tion to have fun and mm -hmm. um, holidays with my family. So to me, you know, I'll, I'm not at a point in my life and I'm not at a point in my career where the number of hours that I devote to my profession, to my career, will be equal to the number of hours that I devote to my play. I'm not at that point yet. And right. it's a decision of mine that those are not equal, but they're not out of balance at all. Um, it's the balance of them that allows me to even stand here tonight or sit here tonight and have this conversation. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I, I have well. to flip it up here because you've been, you, you both have been giving us all kinds of advice. I'm over here actually taking notes, being that I'm a mother, and, and I juggle a lot of things. I, I was like, okay, I really need to make sure my priorities are in order, and you got me thinking over here. Um, but my question, I'm going to flip it over a little bit to the other side of the spectrum. How do you handle failure? Because I think mm. that's an important piece with the success conversation because mm -hmm. failure comes along the way. So how do you both handle it? Do you have an example you like to share, some advice you like to give, it's specifically for me for my notes over here? <laughs> um, okay, so I'll jump in and say that I have, I, I think the, okay, so Terrell was just speaking to when you understand how things what things really mean and how they really operate, it really changes the game because perspective is everything. So failure to me is really a matter of perspective because 
if I learn something from the attempt, then is it really a failure, though, or is it not me refining my process? Mm-hmm. So I choose the you choose your vantage point. I don't. I mean, there are lots of things that, that didn't go the way that I anticipated. So someone could call that a failure, but I learned something from it, which meant that the next step I did smarter. Which means that technically, that experiment behind me was really just refining my process. And whenever you're doing research, you're always you always go in with a hypothesis and you're testing your hypothesis and if in fact it is not as you anticipated you are refining what it is that you originally thought you were dealing with so i mean i don't know that i i don't really look at things as failure it's but if i'm repeating the same thing over and over again that for me i would consider failure but i i just don't I don't see learning anything from virtually any experience as truly failure. Wow. Well, Alvin. Yeah, I like the uh, reference that Alvin made to um, experiments and science. I think that my – now, let me tell you where I am now. So right now, I can see failure as – Part of the process, failure is just the consequence of likely using the wrong approach or not having the fullest understanding of the problem so that my attempt at solving it or addressing it or trying to do something did not have the result that I desired at first. So I now do things far more incremental. Um, You know, if at first you don't succeed, then you try again. And, um, you know, so I run a center, and part of my job as a director is in hiring and retaining and promoting staff. And sometimes you make really, really great decisions when hiring people. And this is my third center that I've worked or, or directed. So I've hired lots of people, not just in my centers. Now that I think about it, student staff, too. Um, and sometimes it's a perfect match. You know, it, people fit with the team. They fit with the scope of the organization. And sometimes I learn after some period of time that it was not the best fit. And someone would say, well, how do you feel about that hire? It was a failure. Um, I don't feel that way. So there's another lesson, and that is, first of all, I don't personalize failure to the point where I say, oh, I'm a failure, or, oh, I'm such a bad person I made one mistake or this didn't work out, um, rather than internalize it or personalize it, I keep it or at a distance so I can inspect it, and I see it as part of the process. You know, I'm a director of a center, and part of that is going to be hiring folks, and you're going to make decisions um, that will fit with the team and some that will not fit with the team. And now you learn from it what didn't fit, what you are you going to look for in the next person that would make it a better fit. So all of it's incremental. You get to learn and change and grow from. And I think that um, the other thing I try to say, none of this is permanent. You know, most mm-hmm. problems or failures are not permanent. They'll go away with time and with other successes. Learn from them. The, the greatest failures actually stop learning from um, things that don't turn out the way that we want. And, I'll close, but, you know, Alvin, your reference to the experiment. So I, if you ever read about the 
Wright brothers who who mm-hmm. flew the plane. Um, many of their first attempts at having that plane fly on its own failed. But what if they had stopped? Or right. Right. TV was invented. Many attempts at having the image show up on the screen failed. But every single time the scientists learned what didn't go well, went back, used all of their energy in science to try to get it better. Um, and ultimately, look at us. We have 80-inch televisions now because people kept trying. That's what I think you do with them. You to the next great invention. Well, Alvian and Dr. Strayhorn, this is Nathaniel. I am going to shift the conversation just a tad. Um, but okay. to stir the pot up, we're about to stir the pot up just a little bit. I have a question that um, I, I, I want to pose to Dr. Strayhorn, but Alvian, you are, feel free to chime in, if you will. Okay. Um, earlier, earlier in Hot Topics, we brought up the topic of tithing in the church, um, giving, up your, giving up your 10%. But the question that was posed with the topic was, do you still tithe even, or do you pay your bills first? What if you don't have, but I know the Bible states that you should give and that the Lord will provide for you, but if you have bills to pay and you have children to feed, what would you, how would you handle that? Mm-hmm. Well, you, he said you first, but boy, do I have something to say about that. Go ahead. Right. So, of course, um, you know, I think this is an interesting question because my guess is that uh, if we got a couple more clergy members on the call, um, many of them would likely uh, fall on the side of what I'm going to – since this is a talk show and you said you want to keep it juicy and spicy, I'm just going <laughs> to go there. I think that they would fall on the side of what I think would be a very easy answer, and that is pay your tithes. Um, you know, and that they would likely draw on some biblical verses, and, um, you know, to support that decision that one has to pay their tithes, give to God their first fruit, and then trust that God would take care of the rest. Um, to me, that's not so much about tithing as it is about one's faith walk with God. So the contradiction, the complication, the um, the the issue for me is if that is the way we go, then what happens to the person whose lights are going to be turned off or whose car will be repossessed or whose um, loved one won't, you know, get their uh, treatment from the doctor or in the hospital, whatever the bill is that you're talking about that has to be paid because there will be a consequence for not paying your bill. And the Bible does also say for us to owe no man. So I think we have to wrestle with these tensions in the Bible and, um, and also keep it localized to the realities of Christians living in today's society. Um, so that said, I think that if you have a bill that is overdue and needs to be paid and you have money to pay the bill, you should pay your bill and and pray and talk to your uh talk to God about it. He knows your situation in your heart. Now, if as I was saying earlier to William uh to Will, that if if you actually don't if it's not a a bill or tithe, 
situation, I think that's a different matter. But if you're really boiling down to, I only have this um, little bit in my hand of money, and I've got this bill, and I have this tithe, and, and my tithe, and you pray, and, and God says pay your tithe, I certainly could understand why you would. Um, there's a story in the Bible of the woman who has nothing but a, a small loaf, and she and her son are hungry. And the man of God comes to her and tells her he's hungry too. And she says, I don't have anything to give you, just this little bit of loaf. And he says for her to go and give, her, give him that little bit of loaf that she has and make him a cake first. And where he goes that she does exactly what the man of God, she gave to the man of God the little bit she had. But because of her obedience, she ended up having more than enough for her and her son to eat uh, for days and days and days. So I think that there are, um, you know, complications and nuances here. No, I'm, I'm not going to dictate to anybody what their faith walk should be. But for people who feel compelled, matter of life or death between the two, and they're trying to figure out, can I pay my bill and can God still love me? The answer is absolutely yes. Alvian? Uh-oh. <laughs> well, I'm not I, not an uh-oh in that I'm going to contradict or make it, you know, profoundly um controversial in any way, but we get into these debates all the time on the pastor study about these about these issues and I'll say this is what I can say for sure. As a person who has been really broke and I mean food stamps broke when I got married and I mean we I had a roommate, I my roommate had a child, I married with a child, we're all in college. I mean I've been broke, broke, broke. Okay. So and food stamps, you know, WIC, the whole nine yards I know what it's like to have nothing, and I was just coming into my walk with the Lord at that time in my life, and my husband made $8.50 an hour upon which he was responsible for taking care of us. And I remember when my girlfriend did our taxes because she was an accounting major at Hampton University. We couldn't afford to have our taxes done, so as a favor to us, she did our taxes, and she counted up that we made $9,000 for the entire year. But we were never, never without, never. And even though I say that saying that we were still receiving food stamps, I, beyond the assistance that we qualified for, which we made use of, of course, because we were broke college students, we did not suffer as a result of choosing to pay our tithes. And that was a personal choice because we wanted to see what would happen if we would believe God for what seemed to be the impossible. And I can tell you that year after year after year, we doubled and tripled and quadrupled. And if I told you, if we had enough time for me to tell you the kinds of circumstances that we faced and simply spoke to the fact that, Lord, let me tell you what's in my heavenly bank account that I have been paying consistently because I have trusted you, and I need to make a withdrawal from that account, God, to take care of this situation. And he showed up every single time without exception. I 
I cannot I it it he Terrell is so right in that it is a personal thing like it has to be where your faith is because if your faith isn't take you know two fish and and a couple loaves of bread and turn it into you know what it takes to feed thousands then let's not even play that game if you're not there then don't don't even do it to yourself but if you're if you're willing to believe him i i would tell you that it does and it can work but you have to be at that place for yourself, and no one can make you there. No one can prematurely short-circuit that process to have you at that level of faith. Now, I also understand, as Terrell mentioned, that if it was an issue of whether or not I can you know, get medicine for my baby and I have a child who's a diabetic, a juvenile diabetic, if it were an issue between paying my tithe and him being able to get insulin, it would be, I, there would be nothing for us to discuss. Because I already know that God would not, I, I just already know, like I, I'm at peace with that, but that's because of where I'm, I am with God. So I would, I would take care of what I needed to take care of for my son. And then I would literally be like, Lord, I will pay you back. God, I promise to take care of it. But that would be a relationship the same way that I would with a friend, that if I had to borrow this from you today or not give you what I said that I was going to give you, I promise to pay you back. We would have that kind of conversation. But I would take care of my son. See, I firmly believe that that's what God would want you to do, is to take care of, and that if he didn't, he would have talked to you through a rock yes. or sent okay. a yes. lamb yes. to your house to speak to you and say <laughs> you're not to do that. Um, do you know, the other thing is, the other flip side of this, so you have, um, you know, this, you have so few resources that you have to decide, is it my bills or is it my tithes, and tithes being 10%. Um, of those earnings. The other part of this that really irks me far greater, and, um, you know, Alvian said she's not going to, you know, say something controversial, so I'm going to try not to, but are the <laughs> pastors are really, it's not so much the people, it's the pastors and the leaders of the churches who try to build these elaborate buildings and elaborate ministries <laughs> and elaborate uh, budgets on the backs of people who don't have those resources. <laughs> and the way Preach. to the way to um, to maximize resources is to make the people in that church feel bad about the fact they don't have the resources that it takes to feed the mega church that you desire. And when you don't have mega church resources coming into the church, so you know, I think it's. I always tell pastors whenever I get a chance and they ask me these questions. That's why churches should have financial planning workshops and financial discussion should be happening in, in churches, especially black churches all the time, so that people understand, as Alvian just said, if she makes $9,000 a year, then you need to take 900 of it and give it back to the Lord. 8,100 of it you need to live off of, and you should set a life for you and your family that can make it on $8,100. Mm-hmm. The problem is you don't talk about financial planning and savings so that people are always living beyond their means. Amen. And that puts them in a situation where it's like, do I pay my $300 cell phone bill that I cannot afford anyway, or do I pay my tithes? And, and the problem, you know what? Really the problem, the problem is far deeper than that. And to jump totally with you, Terrell, on that, and, and on both sides, because I'm a fundamental believer and we all need to own our stuff, okay? So on both sides of it, my I do also have issue with folks who talk about I can't afford to pay my tithe, but you partied all weekend, okay? So you're telling me <laughs> that you can't afford to pay that tithe, but 
your weave is tighter than tight, okay? Ooh, yes. <laughs> and your shoes are flyer than fly, and I know All those right. red bottoms All were not right. on sale, and you're going to tell me now when it's time to pay your car note that you don't have money to be able to give to God. I have a problem with that. If you're broke for real, you're broke for real, and it's really an right. issue of it's my kid or my tithe. Well, then here, when you have a heart for God, you'll be like, Lord, I may not have money, but what I can do, God, is I have an hour this week that I'm not working and the kids are at school, I will volunteer at some homeless shelter, Lord God, and I will serve the people in your name because I don't have money to give, but I have a heart to be able to sow something into the kingdom. I will tithe my time, God, because you know where my heart is, but I don't have money. See, someone like that, God will always do for you. But if you're going to play like just because you you didn't ha- manage your money well, you're in the same right. situation as some of these pastors who, let's be honest, aren't managing theirs either because right. everybody on the board is a friend of yours, and nobody tells you no to any of your ideas. So as a result, the church is a mess financially. So we got we got the blind leading the blind financially. So I mean the reality is that you can see it on both ends, but we on both sides we need to be able to tell the truth because God ain't blessing the mess that's going on in leadership and God ain't blessing the mess that's going on in the clubs either. So oh. both of us need to own our stuff. See, that's that's as con- controversial as I would get to right. <laughs> Go ahead uh, now. Go yeah. ahead. So I have a question. So, with the, well, I'll, I'll address it to Terrell first. He and I were talking a couple of weeks ago, and I know you were the first at your age to do a lot of things. Um, so, I have a question for both of you. Do you often deal with discrimination as far as racism, sexism, and I guess, Terrell, in your case, it would be like reverse ageism? <laughs> Go ahead, a lot of times you're, you're the youngest, and you're the mm-hmm. youngest leading a lot of people who are. Who are who are more elder than yourself, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I see it all the time. All those all those isms um, <laughs> isms operate, and I mean, and they operate in society. So the fact that they operate upon us, all of us on this call, is no surprise. That doesn't mean that it's comfortable or. Um, you know, easy to experience, and it doesn't also mean that we have the the um, that we're always ready to respond to it. Sometimes it pops up in places and times where I don't expect it, and so um, you know, I think that there are certainly people, and it, and it and it doesn't always come out like you know they taught us in history books where people walk <laughs> up and say, "Hey, you you're black," or "You're you're young." Um, sometimes in the exceptionality, that is when people walk up and say things like, you know, oh my gosh, that was the best talk I have ever heard in my life. You speak so well. (laughs) (laughs) So that sounds like a compliment, but it's actually in in, uh, racism and low right. expectations and right. um, needs to be called out for what it is. And so what I typically do to people who do that to me when I can is I try to keep a straight face and control all of my bodily reactions, and I say to them, <laughs> what, 
I had to tell you, English is my first language. And so <laughs> that's why I was able to deliver the wow. album. Um, wow. Okay, and I think that. real. That's the one I was least prepared for. I like to tell people, uh, Will, that, you know, growing up in Virginia Beach, Virginia, with our mom and dad, I always knew I was black. And, you know, I think that my that our parents were very candid with us about race. I remember yeah. hearing messages from um, my parents and from my grandmother, you know, that I was black. I remember as a kid hearing phrases like, you're black in a white man's world. I remember hearing have to work twice as hard and get half as much. So for me, that socialized me to the realities of race. Even though I was like in second grade, I didn't know what it meant yet. Um, I certainly could grow up and start to say, ah, now I remember why they said that to me. Um, but it was not until I came it really into my role as a professor where I started realizing that one of the, my, one of the most re- difficult parts of my identity for my colleagues to deal with is my age. And, and and it's actually my perceived age because I'm not as young as most people think <laughs> I am. <laughs> but, you know, they say things like I've had people walk up and say, oh, you know what, I love that shirt. My grandson has a shirt just like that. <laughs> so my grandson has a computer like that. My great-grandson wears his hair like that. <laughs> wow. And, and so what I did there was um, I, I do the same thing. I pause. By the way, I didn't do these things at first. At first, I just experienced the microaggressions and got frustrated and imploded. But over the course of time, I realized I'm losing so much energy and power at these very racist and ageist and sexist kind of comments. I've got to have some comebacks. And so I started thinking about it. So the next time someone came up to me and said, you know what, my grandson wears his hair just like that. I said, and you know what, my great-grandmother had a coat like that. And, I said, <laughs> and they stopped. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, sorry, that was just hilarious to me. It's wow. so true, though. It is so it's so true. And what's here's what's interesting, though, and somewhat disappointing, to be very honest, is that sometimes it can be, I'm going to give the other side of the coin, sometimes it can be the worst with your own people. Uh-huh. And in many situations, in the work that I, you know, spend my time doing, and I do leadership development for corporations now, I do, you know, relationship stuff all over the place, a, and I don't think now Terrell really does look young, okay? So, like, he, yes. he really does look young. And the fact that he has such a lean frame, you like how I said that, right? He has such a lean frame. I do like that. That it makes him <laughs> look even more youthful. So he's probably perceived as a 20-something, even though, you know, that is a bit younger than he hey. in fact is. Okay. Now, I, on the other hand, am often perceived as right in my early 30s, but I'm 10 years older than it, you know, early 30s to mid, unless people see me in work mode because my personality is so dominant, they assume that the only reason I'd be that dominant is I must, in fact, be a bit older than they originally thought. But what is interesting is that we're still very often women in a men's world most of the time, or the youngest women, because I have a team of women, so the youngest women who are in the room lots of times. So especially when you're talking about training managers and leaders, these people have been doing this stuff 20 and 30 years as professionals. So 
What's interesting, though, is when women who are your senior respond to you in the kinds of ways that clearly suggest that they have issue with both the age factor as if somehow you didn't earn it, and then, see, women, we do this competitive thing with each other. Then we have to try to figure out why you're getting this opportunity, especially if they know how much or have some general idea how much they're paying you to come in here and do this thing. So they're paying you in a couple of hours what some of these women work all month to be able to make, and sometimes three months and six months to be able to make. So what is it about you that's all that special that they're investing this much money in you. And then it becomes this constant ticking to find all the things that are wrong, so much so that, Terrell, perhaps you don't get this component, but I get the, I wonder who she slept with in order to be able to get this opportunity. And uh, when you have a small waist and a big booty, it's always assumed that you had to have slept with someone to make this happen. So it's really interesting the kinds of things that we will do one to another by virtue of our own insecurities about our own inadequacies. Because quite frankly, if you're willing to work hard enough, it shouldn't matter whether I'm a man or a woman, whether I'm black or white, whether none of those things should be a factor. The other thing that sometimes happens is, I'll be honest, I sometimes benefit from their low expectations. You know, like it just, the, the, and I'm talking in terms of the cultural element, the fact that you assume that a woman and a person of color and someone who is, you know, under the 40 threshold and this, that, and the other, of course, I just crossed over that threshold this year. But needless to say, you assume all of these things somehow is going to make me come across a particular way, a lesser way, that when I am able to weave together four sentences grammatically correct you're so amazed by that that i must be extraordinary which means that she's so worth this contract that you haven't even checked my references before you give me the opportunity because i've got to be a baby unicorn because you've never seen another black woman who can speak properly i mean it's amazing how sometimes even on the opposite end look what low expectations can do. So you ex- you will experience it in so many different ways during the process of your climb, but it, it quite frankly, you have to be very assured, self-assured, in order to not be affected by what is going to happen around you. But quite, it, to be very honest, at the end of the day, it's what happens around you is not nearly as important as what happens in you. Amen. And I know time is winding up, so we, we definitely want to make sure our audience We'll have both of your contact information to follow you. But I have to ask this one last question to Dr. Strayhorn. Um, I do remember watching a media video of you, and you described the experience where you were in your car and you were pulled over, and the officer, you know, you were speaking of racism just now, the officer was treating you a certain way. And there was a point there where you almost got shot. And I just wanted you, if you could briefly just share that experience, especially some of the tips that you said for how our young black men need to respond when they're pulled over. That could be life-saving. Yeah. Um, so you're talking about the excerpt from my keynote at the Children's Defense Fund's yes. uh, conference last summer. And, you know, it was one of those situations where um, it just, happened that right before I, I went to give that talk, um, you know, my, my, I had a car, I had a truck, 
and it was a Pathfinder. And, um, you know, I live in, in Ohio where it's snowy and icy during the winter, so I'm driving on my way actually to go get my hair cut at the barbershop, and everything was great. The birds were chirping. The sun was out. I was smelling good. It was, it was wonderful. And I was driving, <laughs> and I hit a patch of black ice and slid. And when I slid, the truck, the Pathfinder, went out of control. Um, it hit the guardrail in the front. It hit the guardrail in the back. But, I mean, I straightened up, and I kept going to the barbershop. So it's like one of the situations where I thought, oh, you know, I straightened up, and I'm on my way to the barbershop. The car is probably fine. So I get to the barbershop, and I don't feel any achingness in my neck or my back. I get out the truck, and I look at it, and it looks horrible. It's like I totaled it. I mean, it was actually destroyed from that little bump. And so I'm driving this truck because, you know, my life is busy, and I don't have time to stop it to buy a new one. Um, but I started hearing from people who would see me driving in this dented, beat-up truck that, you know, they wouldn't think that I would drive that kind of truck. They would think I'd be in a nicer truck. So I decided I'd get myself a nicer truck. I thought about it. I wanted a nicer truck. As Alvian talked about earlier, I work hard enough to have a nicer truck. So I was going to spend my hard-earned money and just get a nicer truck. And I did. And I got exactly the truck that I wanted. And when I got the truck, because of my schedule, I bought it. I put it in the garage and then I started traveling to speak, and then I came home one week, and I realized, oh, my gosh, I bought that truck like two weeks ago, and I haven't driven it. So I should drive it. I'm going to be home tomorrow to Saturday. I'm just going to drive it all day long. So I got up. Again, I was smelling good, had my sunglasses on, jumped in the car early that morning. <laughs> I just went driving to Starbucks, to the mall, whatever I wanted to do. And I drove all day long in that tr truck, and I loved it. Toward the end of the day, though, um, as I was coming back home, closer to campus, I got – that sound, that the, the siren started uh, sounding off, and the lights were in the window. And at first, like most people, I thought, oh, that's not for me, so let me get out of the way. And as I moved out of the way, the police car followed me, so clearly it was for me. And the officer came over. And, you know, um, as I talked about in that, that excerpt, I don't know how you experienced the cop, but first of all, I'm terrified of policemen because I don't yeah. trust on average. So I, if I'm not doing something wrong when a policeman shows up or pulls me over, I'm probably going to end up doing something wrong. I'm going to run a light or, or a wiggle on the road or something because I'm so nervous around them. Uh, so I pulled over and the cop came up and I wanted to know, like, which cop do I have? So as I fumbled through my wallet, I pulled out my Ohio State ID first intentionally, but I performed it as an accident. Maybe I shouldn't be saying that on radio, but whatever. Um, <laughs> it's over now. So, um, and so I gave them my ID thinking that I could, essentially that was an attempt to buy some respect um, to, to uh, connect with this officer, you know, who pulled me in the vicinity of Ohio State so they would know about the university. And if they saw my ID that said professor, maybe – you know, the politics of respectability would lead them to either let me off or at least treat me with some dignity. And long story short, that didn't work. In fact, very quickly he said, um, I didn't ask for that. I asked for your license, license of registration. So I reach inside to find my license. Now, remember the story. Keep up. It's a new car, right? I haven't been in it for two weeks. So when he says registration, I'm like, registration? 
<laughs> where do you find registration in the new car? I don't know where it is. Oh, no. And I thought maybe I didn't have one, but then I remember that in my book bag was the license plate um, packet, and inside that I think there was a sticker, and maybe that was my registration. So without thinking, I reached into my book bag for my registration, and that's when the cop pulled his gun and told me to show him my hands. And, you know, it was it was absent-minded in a way on my part because clearly I would know any time right now I don't need to be reaching into a bag as a black man around a cop. But um, by the same token, it was harmless because I was doing what he asked me to do. That's, that was honestly where the registration was, and I was trying to retrieve it. And um, so I had to show my hands and explain what I was doing and only under very careful surveillance while his gun was on his hand could I go back into my bag to get my license and registration. Of course, when I brought it back, he said, why am I shaking? Why am I so scared? And I want to say, because you have a gun and you're a cop. But, um, <laughs> you know, none of that really worked. Long story short, um, he ultimately comes up with some reason for why he was trying to – he pulled me um, because he didn't – it didn't look like – I didn't look like I would be driving that car. That was the phrase he used. Okay. He said he, we want to thank you for actually on our last six seconds. We're going to have to actually cut it off. I want to thank you both for coming on, and make sure you tune in next week, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Yes. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends. We ask that you visit www.letsfaceitradio.com for up-to-date information on future shows, special guests, advertising opportunities, and exciting interactive ways that you can be a part of the show. Join us next week, same time, same place, for real people, Real topics, real talk. Let's face it. Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.